This is Down the Hatch podcast, and we are back because in our last uh, podcast about acceptance of this pretty much abysmal indication of clinician understanding of swallowing physiology, we talked about the idea that what I, what difference does it make what therapies people chose? Like We couldn't even dive into the therapy part of this paper because the people's ability to identify the swallowing impairment was so bad, it didn't even matter what right. treatment they choose, be, chose because they were treating the wrong thing anyway, probably. Yeah. So we decided in this session, because a lot of times in my dysphagia class or whenever I'm giving talks, people will say, well, what do I do? But they don't mean, how do I identify an impairment? They mean, the patient's in front of me for an hour. What do I do? And they're talking about treatment. So everybody's jumping to the treatment. They're not focusing on whether or not they understand the physiology. It's like, literally, I have an hour to fill, and I have documentation to fill out. What do I do? And what they're <laughs> asking oftentimes is, how do I get the most bang for my buck? Like, yeah. what is the best treatment out there? Oh, it's, it's those like... Facebook posts where people go, your, fav- your favorite go-to dysphagia treatment, go. Yeah, exactly. You were like rattling off all these crazy yeah, treatments. You're like, you're like whoa, why whoa, is that whoa, your favorite? what? Yeah. I mean, who has Can you favorite? imagine a, a spine surgeon, though, being like, I just love to do posterior fusions. <laughs> it doesn't matter if you have COPD. <laughs> but that's my favorite. That's but my I jam. do fusions. And that I- surgery is my jam. <laughs> yeah. That's that's what I do. So come to me with whatever you have, and I'll, I'll put you're a fusion. You're getting a fusion. You're getting right? a fusion. Exactly. Yeah. Hammer nail. So it's interesting because, um, I don't know if you recall, because this has been years of phases of this paper, but we initially were going to make the treatment section a separate paper yes. because we thought that the results were so interesting that we wanted them to stand alone. And um, after going back and forth, we ultimately decided to put it all together in one big package. But we One big grenade. We're not separating it for I, you. Yeah, <laughs> not sure. separating our weapons out. AK-47, then grenade. But I feel like the treatment section of the paper is getting brushed over a little bit. And I think maybe people are so appalled by the first half of the paper. Yep. And not being able to identify the impairment well, that by the time you get to the treatment section, you're just like, yep. whoa. So <laughs> here's the thing. I, here's the thing I have to say about treatment in general is okay, yeah, yeah, identify the right impairment in the first place. But even if you identify the right impairment, how many times have you heard people say, "We just don't have enough treatments. Yeah. We just need more treatments. We need more and more and more and more treatments." Yeah. And every time I hear that, in the beginning, I used to, as a scientist, be like, "Yes." I'm a young scientist, I'm gonna find the treatment, the panacea to fix swallowing, I'm gonna do it. Mm-hmm. And then I realized actually, part of the problem is that we think the treatment is gonna save us, right? Like we're looking for the treatment so we yeah. can just fix this crap, yeah. right? It's not so much that, it's we do not enjoy the process of working through this pathophysiology and figuring out what the treatment should be, that's part of the process. Not just give me something to slap on this wound. Is it a Band-Aid or is it Neosporin? I don't know. <laughs> I need something to put on it. There's bleeding happening here. Mm-hmm. There's infection going to happen. Right. That's It's sort of like answer now, problem later, right? Yep. And if it fixes it, I'm not going to figure out what the heck happened, right? Right. So then I started thinking about what if this happened in like music? What if people were like, who have no musical ability. We're like, the reason I'm not a musician is because there's not enough musical notes. 
Like right now, we need more musical notes. We need more musical notes. That's and why when, we need researchers. That's right. Can notes. you guys create some more sounds for me, please? Yeah. Like there just aren't enough instruments, and I haven't found the one that like speaks to me. And that's why I'm not a musician right. because there's just not enough musical notes or instruments for me. When really, guess what? Those same musical notes have been around. If you look, look, look how long Bach or Mozart or Beethoven's been around. Yet people still manage to make new music every day with the same old crappy notes because they're musicians. Can you imagine asking Bob Dylan, so like, what's your favorite note? Yes. (laughs) I'm like a C sharp guy myself. I don't care if the song is in A A flat. My ass is playing C sharp right now. I'd be playing out of key all day. (laughs) What? I mean, Bob Dylan is not doing that, right? Right. So that's the point. It's like, if you claim to be a musician, you don't get upset that the song is in D major when your jam is F, right? Right. You are able to modulate. And if somebody starts singing off key, you find where they are and you go with them, right? Right. Or you stop it and say, no, we got to do something, we got to change course. This is the process of being a musician. It's the process of being a clinician who specializes in swallowing. You can't get caught up in the fact that all of these variables exist. Actually, that is your job to understand all the variables, not to say, just give me the thing that works, please. Yeah, well, and and same in music is, I don't know what it is about our field that people feel uncomfortable in the gray, where there's nuance and creativity and tailoring stuff to your patient it's the same in music you know to go off your analogy which is that it's not fun if somebody just gives you paint by numbers or here's the you know if if, if I have the what's the cheat sheet for playing the guitar the 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 tabs the guitar tabs if I have that that tells me exactly (laughs) what to do with every one of my fingers right I still can't play that well you're you're, the point is you're a technician right right so if you only cover songs exactly as they are on those YouTube videos then you don't exactly go into jazz jazz stage and start improvising right right you don't have the capacity to do that you say I I do this this is all I know I can play smoke on the water that's right dun 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 and that's it (laughs) <laughs> so if you get a request of something different, it's like, no, 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 no. I, I, I do, do smoke, smoke on, on the water. water. That's, that's what <laughs> that's I do. That's the Shakira exercise, the smoke on exactly. the water. Exactly. Yeah. And you know what? You could almost do the same thing on Facebook. Say, favorite song, go. Yeah. And people will post the water. <laughs> every time. It's a hit. Every time. Karaoke. So anyway, that all comes down to why we suspect... <laughs> Why we suspect oh that this God. these findings were so interesting <laughs> is that specifically, why do you think there were so many therapies listed? So let's just take the easy swallow. The easy swallow is somebody yep. who had like almost a 30 second delay. Yep. And between when they pushed the bolus back into the pharynx and when the swallow actually triggered. That was easy because it was the only problem and it was so darn long. We expected 100% accuracy. Mm-hmm. There was 67% accuracy, and that happened to be the most accurate of all the responses, yep. correct? So in that particular swallow, that 67% of people correctly identified that swallow onset delay was a primary pathophysiology. Only 58% of them actually then said that is the pathophysiology pathophysiology that I would target in treatment. So there tends to be a difference between the problem I see and whether or not I would treat it. This is not even what would you treat, like what treatment would you apply to it. We're just saying if you identify problem A, do you target problem A? And we're seeing that not as many people will say, yeah, if I find problem a i'm gonna treat problem a not problem b exactly and we even um 
you know, one thing that we looked at was, okay, you could argue, well, people chose different things that were, that was the primary impairment. Mm -hmm. So of course they're going to choose to target different things, right? So what we actually did was we said, of the people that said, okay, I will target initiation of the pharyngeal swallow, 58%, like you said, said that is what I want to treat. The next question was, well, what treatment are you going to apply? That was even more across the board. So 58% of people said, I'm going to treat initiation of the pharyngeal swallow. 10% said to do that, they would do a Mendelssohn. 18% said they're going to do a tongue hold. 40% are going to do an effortful swallow. 58% are going to do thermal tactile stimulation. 7% are going to give a peg. Wow, really, for a person who didn't aspirate. Yep, 2% would say NPO. Um, We have, what else we got here? We have um, a bunch of people in the 25 to 50% said that they're going to increase the bolus viscosity, that they're going to increase bolus volume. 29% are going to do a chin tuck. I mean, I could just keep going on and on. Well, basically, every every one of the 21 options for treatments that we provided was selected by somebody. Exactly. For the same impairment that they all agreed, yeah, that's the thing, that's the problem. Right. But they all went in different directions. So for all okay. three patients, regardless of what they said was the primary impairment, every single treatment option was chosen hmm. for every patient. So it's kind of like people... A bunch of people get in the room, they've all got their instruments, and someone goes, row, row, row your boat, on three, two, and then it's just like, everyone's like, like, we all agree we're singing row, row, row on the boat here. Right. Row, row, row on the boat, Lord. Well, row, it's, row, like, row it's like, you know, we, we push for um, instrumentation, objective instrumentation to identify pathophysiology, but at the end of the day... What difference does it what make? What difference does it make if people <laughs> are just throwing their their bag of tricks at yeah. the patient regardless or their of what favorite their impairment treatment. Is. Yeah, their favorite treatment. Exactly. So if that's the case where you're you're giving them your generalized treatment plan, well, mm-hmm. okay, this is your pathophysiology, but regardless of that, I'm gonna have you do the Masako mm-hmm. three times a day for ten trials each. Or wait, no, even worse, I've already printed out this packet of therapies that I send with every patient. Yes. And I have several copies, so you're getting one. Exactly. I really have said before, and I remember the raised eyebrows in the room, where I said, anyone who has a sheet of treatments, throw it out. Yeah. Throw it out, or maybe your job is at risk here, guys. Yeah. You know, if that is what everyone goes home with at the end of the day, it's like a sample from Ulta or Sephora that everyone gets. Like, they're giving me the sample for white skin, and I'm like, have you seen me? Why are you giving me oh colors God. for Alicia right now? That's a great what are you doing? They just hand them out. And it's my job to differentiate whether or not I'm taking, I'm going to have ghost face tomorrow. Am I having, I mean, am I really going to look like I just randomly put ash on my face? But if face? you didn't know anything about makeup, which is what these patients, they don't, patients don't know about the treatments. They have to believe their yeah. therapist. Oh, I don't, the I don't blame, I don't blame the person who doesn't no, know what no, color they are but and just, goes to Alta. I this visual of you being like, I don't know. They're the makeup experts, and you come in with cream-colored foundation around your face and bright blue eyeshadow. I know. I, and you would be like, but they're the expert, and this is what they told me to do, and, and, and that, I'm going to look prettier. I know, I know. And I, you know, I, I really want to look pretty, so it matters. I, you know, and that's, that's really the all biggest issue. All I want to do is look pretty. So with these patients, so they're desperate. They're like, all I want to do is eat, and this swallowing therapist gave me this piece of paper to do 45 different exercises a day 
They're gonna do it. They're gonna do it. That's right. And you know what? They might get better. And, they and when they come back for another floor and they're better, it just validates the paperwork that, that you went to Xerox oh, yeah. and you printed it out. And that validates yeah. the ink that even went though, into that. Even though it could have just been spontaneous recovery. It really could have been. It really could have been. <sighs> so here's my question. How, how I'm not going to say how do we get here. We've already talked the crap out of how we got here. Yeah. What does somebody do who has the paper, has the printouts of the therapies and the number of times they've got their, their cuh and guh. They have 10. No matter who you are, you're getting 10 of those. And you have instructions on how to do it. What do we do to all the people who are still asking on these groups, these chats, to please, can you share your PDF printouts of the therapies you do? And then getting mad if somebody goes, what on earth would you feel if a physician was like, can you share your favorite drugs? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the way that I used to talk to my, when I had um, students in clinic, like graduate clinicians, and one of the things that I would make them do is, if you're gonna prescribe a treatment, right? Well, you start with A, A to Z, right? A is the impairment, Z is the treatment, right? I need you to walk me through A to Z. If you can't do that... Yeah, but who's gonna, who's gonna vet them? You're talking about people in your classroom who have you there to help guide them, mm -hmm. right? And even you and I both argue that sometimes you and I do this together and we would take different pathways. Right. The point is not, will we all have perfect consensus? The point yep. is, is there a reasonable rationale, right? right? But who's the person who's gonna say, you know, that is reasonable or no, actually that's not how the U.S. There's opens. I mean, so lip pursing for you right now is not gonna be a thing. Right. Right. But I think that, I think part of the problem is I think there's some clinicians who aren't even thinking about that process at all. Oh, I see what you're saying. You know, to even think like, yeah. wait a minute, why would a chin tuck work here? You mean critical thinking and dysphagia management <laughs> is not happening? But I spend a lot of time talking, so it needs to be <laughs> happening. Yeah. So, okay, so okay, what you just said brought me to an issue that I think I'm going to say. And I think some people are going to get oh, mad at me. <laughs> when you think you're going to say something. You uh, know when you're going to do something bad? Wait, you they, am I going to take a shot? Yourself. Wait, am I going to take a shot? I think I'm going to take a shot means it's already in my belly. When right you're, now, so when you're even thinking that maybe I should filter this, this is going to be good. Th no, it means the holes in the filter are like <laughs> fist-sized and shit is going to come through. That's what it says. Okay. So here's the thing. My argument, I keep hearing people, I keep hear people saying, in two years, we have too much to learn. There's too much in two years, and dysphagia yeah. is one of the many things that we become jack-of-all-trade, masters of none. But here's the other thing that I've been thinking about. And I'm thinking about this because this is the first time the last three and a half years that I've been in a communication sciences and disorders department. Mm -hmm. Before this, I have been in a school of medicine. Mm -hmm. Before that, I've been in the VA with primarily people in the school of medicine, blah, 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 right. or at the NIH. Right. So this is the first time I've been in my home department yep. and I will say the level of rigor I think dictates why that process isn't natural. Yes. The people who I know who are biomedical engineering people, they're sent home with a problem and it's their job to figure that stuff out and come back with a yep. solution. Their solution is about the process you went through, not whether or not you got to the actual answer. Yep. It's akin to solving some, some algebraic problem. Yep. Like and they actually yeah, and they actually look to see your whole process. It yes, you maybe ended up with negative two and as positive two. But here's where you you took wrong, a wrong turn. Right. In our programs, we want to know, can you just tell me if it's negative two or positive two? Right. Yes or no? 
know, don't look at the process of my yeah. thinking because you'll make me sad and you'll make me feel like I had to think and you didn't validate me and you didn't and you challenged me. Yeah. And that is the constant feedback. I have that to go see patients. Getting. I just need you to tell me what just to do. Just tell me what them. to do. Yeah. And so is when that you scary when you say it like that, Isn't but no, but listen, but here's the thing. Robot, my robots. problem is that not that the people who apply don't have the p- capacity for an intense program with rigor. There's just no incentive to do it. Right. Probably because mm-hmm. of teacher evals. That's probably one major factor. But at the end of the day, if you're sent out there and the first time that someone challenges you is at a hospital when you suggest something and people go, why? Like a physician goes, what are you talking about? This person should be NPO or maybe should not be NPO. You don't know what you're doing. Then you start to blame the program. They didn't prepare me. When you damn well know that if they did challenge you, you would complain about that. You'd be in the department chair's office complaining sometimes. Not not everybody and not every situation, but master's is too late. So this whole idea of process of saying, let me go from this imaging that I'm so grateful to have and thinking about the treatment and thinking about all the variables that would go into whether or not this person can even execute it, is it reasonable, when should I stop, how many trials, how intense, all of that is a process that can be trained but hasn't been trained. And even in the clinical setting, people then become so afraid of being found out, they just do what everybody else does. Yeah. So it still- Take it till you make it. This still all comes back to the idea of we can talk about swallowing physiology and explain that. And there are many now resources to get that information. But if you want to get to the what do I do, it's what you do is you actually start to understand how critical thinking works, how processing works, and not be afraid of being wrong in front of other people. Right. That might be the first step because I worry that if there is this whole take this floor, what treatment would you do? It's going to be like, when we write that down and do that thing then. Yes, exactly. Right? So at first, when you, I was asking you this, I was like, maybe we need a, a training ground for, you know, if you a flow chart. Yeah. But then it's like, no, the flow chart says recipe just visualized, right? And that's what people are so, that's what they want. And when they think of critical thinking, I sometimes I think, are they just thinking that the flow chart is bigger? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? More, more boxes on the chart, more, more boxes. arrows. Okay, well, this patient has... A stroke. Okay, well, they have a stroke on the right hemisphere. Okay, right hemisphere stroke. Okay, well, they're above the age of 50. And you just keep going down. Yeah. It takes you 25 minutes to get to, okay, now we did a fluoro. They're three weeks post-injury. This impairment, or this combination of impairments should pop out the perfect So an algorithm that you just plug in stuff and the computer tells you, exactly. oh, that person requires thermal tactile stimulation to the left fossil arch stroke three times with this intensity of citric acid for two Based weeks. Based on the algorithm that was exactly. inputted beforehand. Then again, why are we in that this field? That is not skill. Then, then SLPs then, are done. Exactly. Done. I'm going to have my son, Titus Humbert, just do that and make all the monies. Yep. All the monies. He's making and them all. honestly, like that algorithm may be better than just like, well, I do Shakir's. I know. But as long as I know, it, you're right. The algorithm a- algorithm actually is better than the paperwork that comes out, the hard copies from the from the copier that everybody gets, no matter what. Because at least maybe somebody put in some information with evidence to justify why that box and arrow goes there right. versus there. Right. But you know, I wish I, what I want is SLPs to realize their value and what they're capable of. Because I'm not saying like, you know, I think if artificial intelligence or these algorithms replaced us, I don't think that that's the answer. I don't think that that would help patients. 
I do think that there's value in the person-to-person contact that you have with the patient for motivation, for feedback, for... For on the, on the, at, on the, not the on the job, but at the moment, moment-to-moment identification of what they're doing, mm-hmm. what they're not doing. They're, they're, there's a reason why artificial intelligence is not raising kids right now. Exactly. Because it's so much cheaper to hire a computer to raise my kids yeah. than it is to pay for, you know, aftercare. I'm just going to put that out there. Yeah, 100%. However, if, if they disappear from the house... What is it going to do? Like what? There's there's a reason you need that human yeah. interaction. So nobody's saying that clinicians are not needed. I think what people are saying is the clinicians are actually the best possible answer to the problem right. once they realize that what is expected of them is far beyond what they might actually be doing. Yep, and that it's okay to say you don't know and collaborate because that happens all the time. In with physicians that get complex cases where they say they consult with, say you have a cardiologist, right? They're going to consult with a pulmonologist. They're going to consult with a neurospecialist. They're going to bring all these people in and decide, hey, this is the plan that we're going to do for this particular patient. There is no algorithm right answer, even in something that seems as straightforward as, well, you have a, you have a blockage of your aorta, I don't know, whatever. Mm -hmm. It's not like, okay, well, you have that, so you get this treatment. It's very, well, this patient has all these different comorbidities. It's also, maybe we're not going to treat them. How about the fact that sometimes we're not treating these patients? Let's talk about that. Let's talk about the fact that, we talked about this last time, a lot of people didn't click, I don't know. Yeah. But what about the I don't know? Might not just be that they don't know, but wasn't there a nun? There was a none option, meaning I actually wouldn't do anything. 1% said none. 1% said none. That person who had a 30-second delay in their swallow, right, did not aspirate, did not penetrate. Am I correct? Uh, Very, very, very flash penetration. Flash penetration. So something that in their age age group, having had a cortical stroke, that's actually not so bad. That's not a reason to change their diet mm-hmm. to our knowledge and obviously yes the caveat is maybe 10 swallows down they did aspirate something yeah. but given what you know right now is this swallow an indication for npo or any forget npo any treatment, treatment. at all right to bring How, them in for 60 sessions i've had exactly. some patients that you know i i do out clinically i do outpatient fluoros or patients come in Maybe they've been in therapy outside for a long time. They came in to get their repeat fluoro. And I look at their notes, and some of these patients have, this is their 60th treatment session. Yeah. And I look at their fluoro, and I'm like, what are we treating? What are you, like, it's normal. But here's the, the problem is, if you haven't had sufficient training to know when treatment is necessary based on physiology and based on all the variables that go into who this human being is you're going to cave to the pressures of productivity yeah that's always going to be the case but what's so crazy to me is i think about this all the time which is imagine if your patient was paying you in cash yeah every single time they walked into that's your a room good point. i think sometimes the financial piece is we, we, we don't, don't see have, the, we don't the, see the transaction. It. You don't see the transaction. You don't see the insurance getting billed. You don't see 
therapy caps. Like now this patient can't get physical therapy because mm-hmm. you don't actually see them counting therapy. out the cash to you instead of PT or OT or, or yeah. to maybe dinner. You don't, and you know, they don't always understand the implications of what this is yep. going to mean for them as well. The same thing with when people build treatment sessions to sit there and watch their patients eat. Yeah. Can you imagine if you had a patient that was paying out of pocket that came in, you sat there, you watched them eat their meal and then they handed you $150 yeah. for that service. I for that sure, service, I sure skilled hope, service. Yeah, I sure hope people, and wait, it's not just that. What about the people who come to outpatient? There's gas, there's yeah. parking. You have to add all of that to it. There's taking time from work, yeah. right? When you add all that, it's not just the amount that you complain that we are not getting reimbursed enough for. I can't, this is the problem that always gets me. When people complain that our services have to share with OT, I don't know that we really have warranted getting more money. Right. Not based on the publications about efficacy and whether or not we are actually doing Doing. anything. Mm -hmm. So when you think about all the things, maybe we should focus on showing that our therapies work than say, therefore, we are saving you guys this much money by being here. We believe that we should be build a certain amount. Like give us a business plan. You know what I'm saying? Before you just say, it's not fair. We are, they think we're less than. Well, should we get into a quiet room together and just figure out where we fit? Are we less than? Can we do that in among ourselves first? Yeah. Yeah. I think that, um, I think that this idea, I think there's a lot of overdiagnosing, a lot of giving too much therapy when it's not necessary, bringing patients in for treatment to just keep an eye on them. Yeah, or I don't know, this is the thing that really drives me me bonkers. I don't feel comfortable. I don't feel comfortable. I mean, I I don't feel comfortable with the person being on thins. What is, please define comfort for me, please, right now. That is the most subjective thing. And I need to be there when they Uh, drink them like this. Because when it goes down the wrong tube, I'm there with my suction to suck it the crap out. Like, (laughs) is that, what are you going to do? Right. Nobody even knows where this stuff is going. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, There's just, uh, the whole financial aspect of it is just really mind-boggling to me. Like, how much, we're expensive, I just think that we as therapists sometimes forget about that aspect. Yeah. And we're just bringing people in. Well, there's not just that. There's also your salary. Mm -hmm. So there's what they're paying and there's also what you're taking home to supposedly have done, you know, this job. And, you know, the question is whether I agree with you. I love that uh, that visual of a person handing a speech pathologist you know, counting out $200 for that hour, that 30 minutes, yep. and that person actually putting it in their wallet. Yeah. You know what I mean? When, I you, when you think about those kinds of transactions, the like, value you and your expectations them? are so totally different, so different from just saying, I'm going to hand you off to Sally here. She's going to process your paperwork. I'll see you next week. Yeah. And we forget that, you know, we're the ones that are supposed to decide if physiology is not normal right so I think that I feel like every podcast we talk about confirmation bias but I think sometimes just because a patient was referred to us a therapist thinks well there must be something wrong Mm -hmm. somebody identified something and sent this person to me so well one of my favorite things that you said was in the last podcast when you're talking about if you're the only one there like during a holiday and you have way too many patients and you triage the crap out of people just because you're like, you're fine, you're fine, you're, you're fine, fine, you're fine. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's almost like if you are in an army, if you're like a medic in the army, 
you're not like bringing people in because they might have a fractured baby toe, right? Exactly. That dude has a bullet going through his shoulder. Yeah. Let's work on the bleeding person. Right. You can limp over to the helicopter on your own. Do you understand? Like yeah. you're bothering me. But if you are in an urgent care and you know somebody comes in, you haven't seen anybody all day, you're gonna treat the crap out of that <laughs> yes. that potentially fractured baby toe. Yeah. So much so that it might be normal. You know what? Here, you know. Here's some ibuprofen, you know, take this because for the pain, there's no problem here. But hey, how about that? Why don't you come back tomorrow yeah, yeah. and that way we can rate your pain on a scale exactly. of 1 to 10. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just see how you feel. Yeah, just because I, do that. Because I care. Yeah. And so can you just dole out the $25 for, <laughs> <laughs> for that Because moment? I care. And I think that it, that's where it gets confusing is it's, benevol- it's benevolent where therapists want to check in on their patients where most people that go into the field, they're people pleasers yeah. not people pleasers but they want to help people and so i think that it is benevolent in in nature to want to check in on patients and give them everything you got and just give them your whole bag of tricks but it's doing them more harm yeah the therapies so, aren't sensitive you're billing them for reasons that they shouldn't be billed and you couldn't you couldn't provide a physiologic rationale for why you chose that treatment right at the end of the day that's actually what ended up starting out CTDM and all these other mm-hmm. things is getting those questions and that's how I now start the meeting out is why are we here is because I would be giving talks on Eastem or something like that and someone would mention some treatment they do and they say well I have a patient who I ha- we're going to talk about research soon but what you guys should know I know this is horrible but one thing researchers often don't like is you give a talk and you have a line of 50 people and they all have a patient who yeah. I have a patient who, and they're describing this this three-week like, episode. I'm like, if you don't know, how would I know, right? right? But when that happens, they'll say, and I'll say, so what have you been doing? Well, I did Chintek. Oh, what's the rationale for that? And then it's dead silence. <laughs> so after the fourth so was person. So what's that happened is. Yeah, so what uh, happened was, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, when you have a few of those, you go, wait a minute. People may not know why they're doing. Oh well, I'm not doing chin tuck. Yeah. that's what the therapist in the yeah, note I recommended. I, 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 I don't do it. I, yeah, I, I just, oh, that's oh. what they said. Well, then what do you do? Well, I mean, that's why I'm here. No, no, you had a degree. <laughs> you have a degree. Are you saying up until now you've never had a patient where you kind of didn't know? It's Homer Simpson backpedaling into the bush. Exactly. <laughs> and if you have not seen that, Google Homer Simpson bush gif. Yeah. And that's the scene right there. Exactly. So let's go to research and then we can be done with our tirade. <laughs> so we can't, and I talked about this before, maybe it was a theory-based practice podcast. I can't remember which one it was. But the idea that the model that is given to clinicians is based on research. Right. And I am not saying I'm not guilty for this. I'm saying I've learned and I've grown as a scientist. Mm-hmm. And many times you will have a study where they want to know what the, uh, let's go with the effortful does, right? right? And they'll bring in healthy people and they'll say all these things changed. That's still a good study to do. We gotta understand what to expect maybe in a healthy population, right. translate that to patients. But then when the patients come in, They'll say something like, all people with dysphagia came in, we put them through the black box of effortful, and these ones came out better, and we had a a significance of of less than 0.05, therefore effortful works. Right. And that's the science, and there are so many holes in that. But that's what we, that's what we point our fingers at clinicians for doing. Exactly. We get mad at them for not targeting physiology, but these studies often don't target the physiology. Right. So again, if you said, I'm doing the effortful swallow, I've defined an individual, the effortful is meant for this, we've only pulled in people with dysphagia due to uh, 
residue in the vallecula who also on floor appear to have reduced base of tongue retraction to the posterior pharyngeal wall. We suspect there's a pressure issue. So we're gonna put them through the effortful swallow thing and see if after X amount of training, that same pathophysiology leads to less residue in the in the um, vallecula. Yeah. That's a study that needs to be done. It well, can't be people with UES issues, people with uh, sensory issues, people who don't cough after aspiration. Every every comer gets to go through the black box. And I'm picturing, you know, as you're telling this story, I'm picturing somebody walking down a windy road, and there's multiple different. Um, side roads that you could take where it's like no, no 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 don't go down there just keep going straight and one of them is you said to actually choose the correct pathophysiology to match the treatment to that pathophysiology but another side road that i often see researchers take is even if you do that and you say okay we're only going to take people that have this lingual tongue-based retraction issue at the end we're going to put them through this treatment how about report how the physiology changed and not just say well and they didn't aspirate yeah and it's like but how did it change the physiology well their pas scores were better yeah and it's like but why That's, but they weren't entered into the study because of pas alone right. right and i like what you're saying about that except instead of um what did you say roadways you can say path for like pathophysiology so yep. you have all these paths and if you want to get to you know california you kind of might have to go west if you're in New York. I mean, yeah. you could probably go east and make a longer trip, but why wouldn't you tell somebody the direct route, yeah. right? So part of that to me is where there it's you, we, it's not everyone is complicit to a degree. And there was a time where that was a type of study that was easily published. And we have a study that focuses on laryngeal vestibule closure, mm -hmm. where we differentiate people, all the people in this study have problems with laryngeal vestibule closure. Yep. But some of them go to the training that is specific to laryngeal vestibule closure called VLVC, volitional laryngeal vestibule closure. And the others go to other things that have known to impact it directly based on research, like an effortful swallow, a Mendelssohn mover, et cetera, yep. a chin tuck. Yep. Those studies have shown that those can impact the duration of laryngeal vestibule closure, but the goal, the direct target, is not focusing on closing your larynx longer. It's just by virtue of doing an effortful, everything is kind of longer. So along with LVC, right. everything is longer. Yep. And we found what? So we found that the people that got the treatment that was isolated to that impairment, so if you had an LVC impairment, and we targeted LVC directly, then we showed immediate effects. It immediately improved either the timing of LVC or the amount of LVC. Because there's different, LVC can be impaired for different reasons. Mm -hmm. So um, depending on what that impairment was for that particular patient, actually targeting and directly targeting LVC showed improvement. Mm -hmm. People that got just sort of the generalized treatments, we call them indirect treatments, the chin tuck, the effort bowls, those did not have an immediate effect on laryngeal vestibule closure. Right. Now, the key in this study was immediate, immediate, mm -hmm. and also identifying what the issue was with the patient in, sure. the, be in the beginning. Sure, so we had, I'm not gonna say the luxury, we had the foresight yes. <laughs> to know that you cannot identify laryngeal vestibule closure abnormalities without video fluoroscopy. Right. Period. It's the only so we're way. not going to do an LVC study at the bedside or with EMG or even with fees or HRM 
because right. none of those actually look at the kinematics of laryngeal vestibule closure. Yeah. So part of what we were talking about before is the idea that even, guys, believe this or not, even when we review papers for research studies that claim to target something, oftentimes there will be a claim made in the results that therefore XYZ happened. Right. And if you say, well, you, I don't know that you can say that because you actually didn't, you didn't measure it. It's like, well, we can't, we don't have that technique. We only have this yep. technique. So we can infer. And the problem is across research and clinic. Mm -hmm. It's the idea that, well, I, I have to do the best with what I have. And really, maybe what we're all doing is we're doing the worst with what we don't have, yeah. both in research and yeah. clinic, by saying, I want to study this phenomenon that I don't have the tools to identify or study. So I'm going to use this other thing that maybe tells me 10% of what could be happening, and I'm going to make claims as, as if I actually really use the best tool. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and um, it's, it's frustrating when you read research articles that aren't doing that because this is where it's supposed to the critical thinking and the foresight is supposed to be happening mm -hmm. and you want it to trickle down to the clinic but if it's not happening at the top like what how yeah. does it trickle down yeah and, how and do you know what that expectation? then the thing to me is that research is not the top yeah research is one domain yeah it's a partner we're all at the same level mm-hmm and there's an umbrella that we all under sit, hopefully sit under, which is we have passion for this. We hopefully want to do this together. Yep. But under that research is there's one that is next to clinic. It's also next to education. It's yep. also next to administration because each of those domains play a massive role in whether or not a patient gets the right care, right? right. They just work differently. Research is slower. Clinicians have to deal with person in front of them today, right now. They can't wait for a study to come out, right? right. So I would argue that at the end of the day, the research domain for therapies, which is most research studies to my knowledge and swallowing are therapy-based. Those are the ones that people are really vying for. You're more likely to get them accepted if you are showing treatment effects. Right. If you're just doing a study on this is the way the, the normal swallow does something, eh, not quite as sexy for the right. upcoming groundbreaking dysphagia research society or maybe ASHA or something like that. Because right. why? We started this out by saying clinicians want to know what to do. Yeah. But what we need to be saying is what to do is learn the process. Yeah. What to do is understand the different domains that play a role in where you are. And that's what I ended up doing. I started out in research. And like I said, I'd be like talking about, as some people say, tinkering with the larynx, which I love that that term. Yeah. And I still tinker with the larynx in research because that's what's necessary. But if I hand it off to a domain, which would be the clinical world, where they can't even see the larynx, right. what good is it? in and of itself, it plays a role in research, mm -hmm. but we gotta come over to this other domain. Mm -hmm. And so we're asking clinicians to understand the research domain. Right. We're asking everybody to understand the administration domain. Those are the people, the hospital administrators or healthcare administrators who determine whether or not you can buy anything and they don't even know what a swallow is. Right. And of course the education domain where we're training these people. And by education domain, I also mean CEU domain. Yeah. It's not just exactly. undergrad and grad school. It's also that these CEUs, you can go to ASHA and you can get CEUs, and you can practice swallowing all day, but maybe you just sat through uh, fluency things. Well, there aren't enough of those to even sit through. Right. I, mean, I looked at the program, like, oh, my God, there's, like, no stuttering in this thing. Do you think that there will be a shift as I've noticed um, in education that there is sort of a paradigm shift in this idea of problem-based learning? Um, I think that... It w 
in general, our educational system is moving a little bit more away from didactic lectures mm -hmm. that that will help the problem in incorporating more problem-based learning in SLP's education system? As long as, I don't think it can be one person who does it. Mm -hmm. So I'm usually the person who mo most people end up crying with in this program. Mm -hmm. Like, I teach the two hardest classes. And so what that means is I have a reputation for being tough, which yep. is fine. But if you can't be the anomaly. You can't have a rigorous program and there's just one tough person. Yep. It has to be a system through which people actually jump through some hoops to earn their degree, earn the right to make a decision about somebody's airway. It yep. shouldn't be, well, I got all A's. Everybody damn well knows that there are a bunch of people with 4.0s who don't know how the epiglottis inverts. They don't know how the UAS opens. Right. They don't even know, you know what a central pattern generator is. Yep. So the 4.0 obviously is not a clear reflection of learning, of tenacity, of rigor, of critical thinking. It is simply a grade. If that was the case, then people like me with pretty abysmal GRE scores should not be here talking about this right now. Right. right? It's interesting. When I, when I was an undergrad, I started out as an engineering major, and you have like the... A college of Engineering, we had like an orientation, and uh, one of the things they said at the very beginning was they said, we are not here to teach you about robotics. We're not here to teach you about fluid mechanics, thermal dynamics. We are here to teach you how to think. Hmm, and it. all of those things, yeah, you're going to take classes and all of these things, but those are, they are what they are. We don't yeah. have to teach you that. You can translate you can that open up a you book. Go. You can open up a book and learn these concepts and principles and, you know, there's certain formulas and physics and all these things like those don't change but you know what's interesting is we have all these tiers of clinicians when we talk about therapy certainly there are people who are like look i graduated 20 years ago and i went straight in the school system i know i don't know this all the way to the people who are very um who maybe a phd who's always studied swallowing is you know really well learned in this area but they're all there's in between that sort of these i'll say yeah. high level clinicians who I may, I often hear saying those other clinicians, they don't even know their cranial nerves. And it's fine to know them, right? It's fine right. to sort of know that the order of the notes on a piano go in this particular order. Right. But can you play me a C major scale, please? Yeah. Can you can you do that? Can you do solid chords versus, you know, anything else? Like can you can you do play C minor? Can right. you add a seventh to that? Can you do anything? <laughs> it's like, well, I know what the notes are, though. And C, then D, then E. Then yeah. F, and they don't even know what C D E. Then Every F. good boy deserves fudge, right? Exactly. See? They don't. They I don't know. The piano. They don't know. Face. That's right. They don't know. They don't know trouble that there's a trouble in a bass clap. Okay, so why don't you go ahead and tell me, yeah. you know, where it translates from one to the other? Go right. ahead and do that. Well, why does I mean, the order? Why does the order matter? That's right. Whoa. So that's that's the whole point. Like, if you, it's a musician, clinician, right? Yeah. In the same way that you want to, you don't call yourself a musician. Just because you can play Mary Had a Little Lamb once, those people are like, mm, I am, don't put me on the stage, I am not a musician. They don't yeah. fake it till they make it when there's consequences, like you're going to be shown up and right. Simon, Simon from so, American Idol is going to call you out in front of everybody. Suddenly it's like, oh, yeah. I am not a musician. I mean, I know how to play Mary Had a Little Lamb. But you don't see these clinicians yeah. saying, oh, no, no, I know, I know the procedural stuff about the cranial nerves. Like I can give you that whole mnemonic, is that mnemonic, mnemonic, whatever it is yeah. for it. But I actually don't know how to tease it out on in well, front of and me. And don't you think that the heart of it is, is accountability in, in that way? I just, you know, th to go off your analogy again, I think of this scenario where 
you know, my Smoke on the Water that I can play very well. <laughs> you learned that song. I know. Dun, dun, the, I can play it on a guitar. It's the only <laughs> thing I know. And But if we were at the Met Gala and somebody was like, we need some music. Anybody know how to play the guitar? I wouldn't be like, <laughs> well, sure do. But because I, everybody would call me out. They'd be like, this exactly. is bullshit. You don't know how to play yeah. the guitar. Like, it would be obvious. Yeah. But in a hospital, when you get somebody with dysphagia... <laughs> And someone's like, does anybody here know dysphagia? You, you have yep, people like palpating smoke on the water on their neck. <laughs> 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 and nobody's there to question you. Yeah. You're just like, all right, well, the you're difference the is, The difference is the audience can tell that you don't know what you're doing. In your exactly. musical performance of Smoke but on the no, Water. Swallowing, right? There's nobody we there's no but there's no audience. There's no audience. There's no audience there's who no knows what should be happening. Yeah. Right? So absolutely. Without question, that's part of the issue. Yeah. So anyway. And that's why it's like, you know, when you go into this field and your CF, people will tell you, fake it till you make it. Because you can. Exactly. You can. Because you can. Yeah. That's right. Like it's like the secret. It's like mm-hmm. you don't actually have to know what you're doing. Yeah. You can build people, nobody will even question you. That's right. Like, you can just make diets. Physicians and you can turn physicians a blind will eye. look at you. And I think, you know, I think some people take that to heart so much is that we're the experts. Yeah. And we can't falter that. And we by can't. expert, you can't just be not the last person running from the bear. Right. Like, the we're bear just, is going to get one of the ten of us. Just be number nine. Don't be number ten. Because number ten is getting eaten. Well, I hear people That's say, what I have mean. a license. Yeah. I, am, I am certified. I have a license to do this. Yeah. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, I think. And by do this, we don't mean think. We mean recommend diets. Yep. Watch people eat, right? Yep. So I'll just close by saying that the most inter- what you said about we're here to help you to think is it's what I keep saying in the not just CTDM, but also in my courses is the best tool you have is between your ears. Yep. It is not in a device. It is not in a treatment. It's not in a certification. It is not in your license. Nope. It is not in your C's. It's not and in your BCSS or BRSS. It's not on PubMed. I it's need to find a research right. paper that fits my exact patient exactly. perfectly. Exactly. And if not, it's like, well, we need more research. That's right. It's we questioning do. yourself. It's opening yourself up to the process. It's not getting mad that people are saying, you might not know what you're doing. Yeah. And you know what? What if you do and you found that you do and you've proven that to yourself? Great. You went through yeah. the process of saying, wait, am I... Do I know what? Am I competent here? Yeah. And finding out that you are, that could be an amazing experience yeah. as well. Sometimes I think to myself, like, we don't need more research papers. We need more review articles. So true. That take big concepts and just lay it out and describe things and, um, you know, versus these. Not to say there's not value in the case studies, and we obviously need both, but I I love reading review papers because Mm -hmm. it takes that concept of theory-based practice Mm -hmm. and puts it on paper. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I think you know what we're going out to. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. We are going out to smoke on the water. (laughs) Well, maybe I'll I'll record myself. You know what? I really do think you need to. I really do think you need to for the next DRS. I think you should, like, Dysphagia Research Society, Asha. I want you to go on stage. I'm going to have a t-shirt that says Agentic AF, and you're going to have your guitar, and we're going to have a band. But, like, this is, like, the people at the conferences. What if now I'm, like... I, I mean, I didn't say that I know how to play. I'm just saying that, like, this one time. Don't make me. Don't make me perform. Don't make me perform. That's like when you ask people, though, like, well, what's your rationale for chin tuck? Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. I, I, I don't do chin tucks. Like, yeah. It's like, oh, you've never done one? Well, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> All right. Oh, cool. Oh, shoot.